This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 121 of the Half Measures Podcast. I am joined by my partner in crime, my Apple fanboy friend, Paul Kanawa. How are you, pal? Apple fanboy. I tell you, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, I'm good, thank you, Dan. Uh, it's been a tough week as a football fan, I'm just going to say quickly, so I need this energy of this pod to lift me out of a bit of a, a slump of being a New Zealand All-Whites fan and, a, and an England football fan this week, so I'm counting on you. I have nothing to contribute to that conversation. That's probably um, just as well. Are you talking about soccer or...? I'm talking about football, Dan. I, oh, I, I, okay. I, we, this, this podcast is rated clean. It doesn't have an explicit rating, and if you're going to use words like that, well... Look, I know your trigger words. Yeah. So it's been a big week for you, Paul. You, you've switched from the Android system to the Apple system. I'm, I've got many questions. Oh, just give me your initial kind of like, how has the transition been? Well, it's been a journey, as we would say. You know, I've been since 2007 or 2008, whenever it was the first phone. I've, I've never had an iPhone. So this is the first one in like, you know, 14 years, whatever. I've always been fascinated by the camera. That's what's really lured me in because I see pictures from people that take photos on iPhones. And I always think, oh, that's a little bit sharp. It's a little bit clearer. So I want to, I want to give it a go. But I tell you, the first two or three days, um, and I've got to give a shout out to uh, one of our listeners, Tony, because he was one of the people alongside yourself, uh, my manager, a couple of my work colleagues who I distributed different questions to because honestly, learning this thing is like a whole new language. It doesn't. It doesn't do things that I'm used to doing. It does some things better. Um, I was ready to put it through the wall within the first 24 hours. I couldn't do the things I needed to do. But then I started taking photos, and that calmed me down. And it's been a week, pretty much now, and I've mastered most of the things I need to do. And I have to say, I like the feel of it in my hand, and I I like the photos, and so I'm impressed. Now that you've got this uh, this top tier camera, maybe we should speak to the the social media manager about a a half measures only fans page. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. I'd like to see that take off. I am, um, I'm no, I'm I'm enjoying it. And the other thing that's been great is so having Apple TV and so now being able to watch some of those shows a lot. Because I'll be honest, as much as I enjoy and like this phone, Apple don't make things easy for people who haven't got an Apple device to do something. So like Apple TV has always escaped me. So now that's been, that's been something I can add to the list, which is good because for all mankind, season three is out and um, we're going to, Diana wants to get involved. So we're going to do a season one and two rewatch and then dive into three because that was my top show. Number one show from last year, season two of for all mankind. So, so the TV side of it's great as well. I need to get on the show. When you start this, let me know because maybe I could uh, get in sync Great. And, and start the watch because yeah, I've noticed season three and it sort of reminded me uh, of your rave review and uh, I need to get back on this uh, this journey. Yeah. But as tradition dictates, Paul, what have you been watching? All right. So I've actually got a couple of series underway, which I haven't 
finish them halfway through and I'm really excited to bring one of them to the pod next week. So I'm going to leave them be for now, but I do have two movies to bring in. One is about a docile family man who slowly reveals his true character after his house gets burgled by two petty thieves, which coincidentally leads him into a bloody war with a Russian crime boss. I'm talking about 2021's Nobody, starring Bob Odenkirk, uh, which I remember some time ago, Dan, you watched this at the movies, I think, if memory serves. And I can't quite remember what you said, but one of the things I do remember you saying, and I'm going to say exactly the same thing, is that seeing Bob Odenkirk, our beloved Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman from the Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul universe, in this type of a role is something I never expected to see him in. And it's it's not only is it something I never expected to see him doing, but he's doing it so well. He really threw himself into this and I just thought he was absolutely superb. It's like he's found it's like he's found a new niche. You know like how Liam Neeson did with Taken? This is this is more like John Wick than Taken. It's more a bit of an A team feel to it, but it's um it's superb. I loved it. I think, yeah, John Wick is the the term that definitely sticks in my mind from watching this movie, and I think you're right. I think it's it's so – I think what I like about these types of movies is, like, Bob Odenkirk is such a like an everyday-looking guy, yeah. and I just love that he's kind of like – we've seen him in these kind of, like, dry roles where he often gets kind of a bit picked on or he's definitely not the the tough guy, and to see him kind of step into this realm – is it's just so much fun oh so much fun and the story that goes with it is great as well and just looking the the writer Derek Colstad no wonder we're making those John Wick links because he's written all of the John Wick movies he's got the new one coming out he's also got Hitman um so this is right up his alley it's it's just yeah, you know, I'm obviously talking spoilers because you know it's, it's been out a while but some of the scenes there's, there's a scene where he's on the bus and that for me is just absolutely iconic. You know, he's kind of, he's had enough and he's not putting it up with it anymore. So if you think like falling down, there's a breaking point for people. And unfortunately um, for for these guys on the bus, they don't realize that this everyday man, and, it, and he has got, with all due respect to Bob Odenkirk, he's got one of the most everyday man faces you could possibly, which is why he's so good as Saul Goodman, right? Uh, and he just goes to town and... Um, yeah, some of it was a little bit maybe over the top, but I don't think that's a bad thing. It's kind of, that's what this movie is meant to be about. It's meant to be full on. It's meant to be entertaining. And yeah, I have very few criticisms of this movie. I would absolutely love a sequel. Definitely. And I even really enjoyed uh, Christopher Lloyd's character as well. Oh, yes. I, like he was just, like he kind of brought in almost a bit of a, a back to the future crazy old scientist type yeah. um, vibe. But I just love, like, th- I think that's where the movie goes into like complete over the topness, but still been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Connie Nielsen, and Michael Ironside, uh, all great sort of roles within this. A uh, bit, bit more of a cameo, I guess, with Christopher Lloyd and how he comes to life at the end of the movie. Seeing. <laughs> seeing Christopher Lloyd and Bob Odenkirk side by side fighting in a really extreme battle was something I don't think anyone would ever expect to see. Um, I would say that other than those people I've mentioned, I don't know that everyone in the support cast was that convincing, but I kind of let that go because, you know, I'm, I've am i come for the Bob Odenkirk show. That's that's why I've come to watch this movie and it, it just doesn't let you down. 
It must be so much fun to film a movie like this after doing, you know, six seasons of Better Call Saul. Oh, it, what a what a change! I mean, just so different. And of course, um, since filming this, uh, he you know he's also been unwell. He had his heart, cardiac arrest incident, and you know obviously he's better now, whatever. But um, he you know he was in great shape for those scenes. There's absolutely no way he couldn't have been in anything other than great shape because he's really throwing himself. And I know there'll be some clever camera work, but them. He really would put himself through the ringer. Good shout. Great movie. It's a lot of fun. Great uh, great popcorn movie, as they say. Oh, yeah, 100%. And if you're in New Zealand, you can watch that one. Uh, you can watch Nobody on Neon. And then next up for me, Dan, uh, is the third movie in my Oceans uh, Marathon, uh, Oceans 13. Danny Ocean rounds up the boys for a third heist. After casino owner Willie Bank double crosses one of the original eleven, Ruben. Um, so this this movie was a much needed tonic after last week's Ocean's Twelve um, disappointment. To be quite honest, um, I feel like this it's 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 funny, it's clever. Uh, it's doing all the things that Ocean's Eleven did. So you're, you know, you're seeing you're seeing a con happening, but you don't yet know why or how it might fit into the finale. It's a much tighter script. It's sort of it's much more slick and cool. It's really well edited, um, and it just flows so well. Um, Pacino, Al Pacino as Willie Bank as, as sort of the bad guy, if you like, was a great casting choice in this. Um, if you're going to try and you know top. Uh, or go one up on Ocean's Eleven's casino owner Andy Garcia, who played um, Vincent Corleone in Godfather Part Three. Then the only way to do that is to go with Don Michael Corleone from all three Godfathers. He was absolutely superb, and and I guess it's easy to say that because it's Al Pacino is one of the greats. But I'll be honest, in the last twenty years, I can probably count two to three movies where I've actually watched Pacino and thought it was a really great movie he was a part of, you know, like Insomnia or uh, The Irishman. I can't think of many others in this 20-year period and compared to the 70s and 80s and so on. But this one, he's well cast and I think he's he's superb and he, ring, he really lifts lifts it up. I think that was what was missing from, from 12 was a really good villain. And so where does this rate across all three movies? Obviously, it's better than two. Is it better than the first one? No. So I still, I think one eleven still just just about takes the top spot because there's something something still that it doesn't have the, quite the same appeal. Maybe the cast actually, because beyond the uh, well, the the thirteen, the, there's even a broader, wider cast that's maybe too big. Um, but it's it is such an improvement. Watching it in isolation, you might not get that, but when you watch. 13 straight after 12 you really get a you really notice it and you sort of get that oh they're back kind of feel i think they were right to not do another one with this group of um, people but um you know it, matt damon's part in this movie i've noticed is a lot more than it was in the first two and i think probably that would be as a result of how much his profile had risen by 2007 when this this came out the music is great um there's that there's a there's a style to the music now which if I hear it in something else it's now like that's the oceans music it sort of seems so synonymous with this with this series so um yeah I, I would have liked to have seen a, a Pacino Garcia showdown but that's probably just the fanboy Godfather and me just wanted to see those two come back together again but um, overall 
Ocean's 13 is another great Saturday night popcorn movie. It's really good. And where can people watch this one here in New Zealand? This one you can watch on Prime Video. Good shout. But yeah, other than the things we've watched together and the other couple of things I've got on the boil to bring next week, um, that's me, Dan. What have you been watching? Um, I've watched a couple of things. So I'm coming in this week uh, with a Netflix TV show, which is season three of Love, Death and Robots. So this is basically a collection of animated short stories that sort of span various genres, including science fiction, fantasy, horror, comedy. Season three uh, has about nine episodes uh, from memory, just checking that, yep. And it's it's always kind of a fun slash disturbing watch and it kind of to me has a bit of a a black mirror vibe because it's always kind of something unsettling and it's always kind of kind of pointing towards the 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 terrible future that we're we're all kind of driving towards and what kind of makes it fun mostly is that each episode it could be seven minutes it could be like 14 minutes could be 20 minutes They're, they're never very long so it's quite a nice sort of I want to jump in, watch a, a start to finish story. And I always kind of appreciate a short story because I, I love the the pressure of just jumping straight into it, getting your point across and then kind of wrapping it up. Um, season three, I don't think it was my favorite season of Love, Death, Robots. It had a few good episodes. Um and it very much, you know, in previous seasons, I think they've had a, a greater mix of um, format and presentation, whereas this one felt very sort of heavy, heavy in the sort of CGI space, mm-hmm. um, and a lot more. Like it's always kind of been pretty edgy, pretty out there. This one sort of very much this season, very much sort of focuses on sort of gore and, and violence. And it, though it's kind of like a, it's got a good bit of shock factor, and sometimes it's sort of done in good humour. It never really, I thought, did anything major for me. I, I didn't enjoy this season as much as I think, particularly seasons one or two. And saying that, all of the episodes, they all rate pretty well. Like mm. most of them on IMDb are sort of sitting around a, a seven or an eight. There's a couple of sixes in there, but there's, there is some good stuff. And I think, again, the the benefit of them sort of being short stories is even if there's one that you don't really like, in 10 or 15 minutes, you're on to the next one anyway. So it's not really a major. And so just to be clear, because when I looked at the photos, I was like, oh, it's a mix of CG, uh, CGI animation and live action. But uh, upon closer inspection, there's no live action. It is, it's all animated or CGI, right? Yeah, there's no live action. No, it's no really good quality, some of it. So like, you'd think it was actually real, some of it, to, from, the, from, the, from a distance. Yeah, well, it's, it's some pretty impressive... Um, uh, computer animation and so and they they really do fo- like sometimes they really do focus on that realism sometimes they they kind of shift it tr- like so you truly sort of know you're watching um something a, a little bit more uh kind of like cyberpunkish or and and all of them like there's good stories in all of them i just don't think overall as a collective season i didn't find myself sort of as compelled to keep watching like i mm. i would sort of be like oh yeah that's enough i'll watch it i'll watch another one the next night and another one the next night probably the the one that stood out the most for me was the final episode of the season uh called jabaro and it's basically about a a deaf knight and uh this uh group of soldiers come across a a siren who basically like 
uh, entraps them to their death and she's, and he's the only one not affected because he's deaf and then the sort of this big showdown happens and it's all kind of this real sort of like mind-bending stuff you need to kind of think about. Like it's not always just a, a straight, um, clear story. You know, for example, like you've got another episode called Mason's Rats and it's basically about a, a Scottish guy, Scottish farmer who um, basically keeps buying uh, more and more advanced technology to deal with the rat problem out in his barn and and the rats start fighting back and it's all sorts of sort of crazy little stories like that incredible yeah that Chabaro was the i think that's at the start of the the trailer that i pressed play on and that was when i thought at that point it was actually live action so that does look impressive it's i mean the whole show gets good ratings it's currently ranked number nine on imdb's top you know top shows full stop so that's pretty high as well so yeah a lot of a lot of ratings I think too, and you know, this is probably the the beauty of a show like this. Um, all of that, like, there's a couple of episodes which actually do connect and sort of continue the story. But as I say, all of them can kind of be just watched in kind of a short, short sort of viewing. So you're on the bus, you're on the train, you're you've got you know, fifteen minutes before you want to do something. Like you could easily put on one of these episodes, and you've you know. Nine times out of ten, you've got a pretty high quality story, and I think as a as a package of three seasons on Netflix, it's a it is a really good show. Awesome, nice one. Cool. And the other thing that I've watched is I've watched the movie. Paul, I have watched the Uncharted movie. So this is based on the the PlayStation game uh, or the series Uncharted, and so you've always got to come into these. Uh, live action um video game movies with a little bit of caution because you know history has taught us they're they're not often the best um to be honest though i had a pretty good time with this one i I had a lot of fun it's definitely a popcorn movie it's definitely a bit cheesy at times it definitely probably it's kind of set up to be a, a wider sort of franchise of movies, whether that actually happens or not, who knows. But it stars uh, everyone's favourite Spider-Man, or mine at least, <laughs> uh, Tom Holland, Scott Mark Wahlberg, Antonio Banderas. And it's basically about street smart Nathan Drake is recruited by the seasoned treasure hunter uh, Victor Sully uh, to recover a fortune amassed by basically this, this old organisation and they basically go on a, a big treasure hunting adventure and I guess what's kind of probably the the big sort of thing for particularly fans of the video game is, is Tom Holland, is, he's, he's very young and Nathan Drake kind of plays, like from the video game point of view, in my mind, like Nathan Drake is... He's in his 30s, like he's a little bit more seasoned. He's He's been around a little bit, and this is obviously a, a very young Nathan Drake. But by all means, the the banter, the the relationships, the the comedic value of the entire cast, It's this movie's a lot of fun. Great cast, um, decent ratings. Matt Wahlberg, not his first time going into, um, you know, sort of a video game era. Brian Cranston, Jake Gyllenhaal, Chris Pratt, Chris Pine were all being considered for the role of um, Sully before it went to Mark Wahlberg. Um, so there's a lot of big names attached to this one. And Banderas, I've, wow! I've, obviously, we all we're all getting older. He suddenly looks much older to me. It's interesting, right? Because I think originally this movie has been kind of banging around Hollywood for a few years, and I. I read somewhere actually a little while ago that Mark Wahlberg was actually originally brought on to play Nathan Drake. And 
as sort of Hollywood rumours go, I understand, you know, as time went on, things changed, and then they gave uh, the role of Nathan Drake to Tom Holland, and Mark Wahlberg was like, oh, I thought, I thought I was Nathan Drake, and he got sort of bumped to being the older character because, and you can kind of see Mark Wahlberg kind of probably feels like more of what Nathan Drake is when I think about it in a video game concept. Yeah. But in saying that, I do enjoy the the relationship between Tom Holland and, and Mark Wahlberg, and I think there's there's a lot there to sort of keep working on. I think you kind of have to make a bit of a step away from the the game universe, and I do love how there's some there are some definitely some great nods to the game, um, lots of sort of scenes. There's uh, the voice actor from um, the Uncharted series; he's he's in it, and he sort of is having a bit of bit of banter with um, Tom Holland, and it's. Like it's it's kind of well done, but I think there it is always a bit of a hard watch when you when you know so much about this wider gaming universe and then have to sort of see it as a movie. But I think if they sort of now they've set this up and they keep sort of moving forward, I'd be back for more. It sounds really interesting. I love this. I was just reading a com, uh, comment from Matt Warwick. He says he he compared it to Indiana Jones, the Thomas Crane affair, um, you know, with elements of heist and adventure movies. That sounds like a pretty good. Uh, combo so you've said it's got a few nods to the game does it sort of you know in your mind does it feel true to the game does it complement the game does it because i know a lot of people you know when we talked a long time ago about max Payne, people just said it just wasn't true to the game at all but like what's your feeling on that um well it's kind of true to the game in the in the video game uh nathan drake is there's lots of sort of funny sort of memes and jokes around the internet that nathan drake is basically a, a mass serial killer like he just kills so many people and trying to sort of you know get the treasure there's all these kind of random guards he's always killing in the movie uh obviously they can't have tom holland killing people non-stop like like you would in a video game so it's way more sort of barroom rules like and i yeah. think you know talking about those movies that like kind of feels like, like it does feel a little bit indiana jones it feels a little bit to me national treasure a little bit italian job like it's it's all of those kind of mushed together and some of the the big set pieces or the way that they might find treasure feels very much like the game like they very sort of they work quite hard to make it feel like they're kind of solving puzzles and um you know really having to think about this sort of ancient complex things to surface the treasure that they're looking for so and it's i think this is where it sometimes like it's too like gives too much homage to the game because like rather than sort of being in that sort of real life genre they're doing kind of like corny or dumb things um which don't make sense in sort of a a modern day but you know what for for what it is as i say i had a lot of fun awesome and yeah with a rating of 12 they are definitely going to scale back <laughs> some of those things, oh, yeah. I guess. So, um, that's right. So uh, quite accessible as well with that age rating. That's good. Indeed. So if you want to watch that, I actually watched it on iTunes here in New Zealand, but I imagine it'll be heading to some streaming streaming services sometime very soon. I'm good with iTunes, Dan. That's, that's all good with me. So I want to flag it to you. You're on, you're on the network now. Welcome to the Garden of Eden. Shall we uh, jump on over to another show that we've both been watching, Paul? Fear the Walking Dead Season 7, Part 2B, yep. whatever you want to call it. Always an exciting time on the podcast to be talking about any of The Walking Dead. Don't forget we've got uh, time codes in the in the show notes if you want to jump ahead to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, because, I don't know, Dan, we could be here for an hour. You know, there's always so much to talk about with Fear the Walking Dead Season 7, uh, Part 2. So... 
we sort of we had the first part, feels like some time ago and we were doing episode by episode reviews and we've switched to a, a full review now rather than doing it that way um we've still got you know morgan and the group scattered across texas trying to survive the nuclear fallout that um, was brought about by our old mate teddy um some time ago now and morgan and victor have very different philosophies dan i'll start off by saying i used to walk into my office i think it was always on a, it was always on a, like a tuesday morning because we would always talk about the walking dead from the night before it's always monday night and you didn't and it was the greatest it felt like it was always the greatest sort of morning coffee conversation before you get stuck into the work that you could imagine it's always great now i walk in the office and there's well there's no one there because everyone's working from home but if people did still go into the office no one would be talking about fear the walking dead i don't even know i don't even know where to start with so much of this second half of the season dan i came away quite disappointed overall paul this is garbage this is a garbage <laughs> tv show don't that- hold back that is just like there was one or two good episodes in the second part of this season, but the the majority of it, I just feel I feel like it's so hard not to repeat my previous Walking Dead rants, but it's it's the same problems. I feel like the writers have got short term memory. the The writers actually not are not taking the story anywhere interesting. They're well, once again, we've got too many characters with kind of like plot lines that kind of often start off as interesting and then they just run into the ground and you know we've both said that fear the walking dead kind of like almost kind of revived a bit of energy for us at some point in the walking dead universe but it it drained me and if it wasn't for this podcast paul i would have given up on the show a long time ago <laughs> thank goodness we've got the podcast and also thank goodness we decided to watch it in one go because i think if we were watching that weekly that could have that could have been a real yeah, it could have really affected people's mental health because the thing is, with, and I'm going to start off relatively positive here, this show looks so good, I think. I think the direction, the production, the editing, the makeup, the costumes, all of those things and a great cast, I think, are all really good. And I think that with this, you know, we've got now we've got this nuclear zombie apocalypse and that, that there's always, I don't know, if you think back to some of the episodes that hash color contrast of bright yellow and reds and blacks and i think it looks superb but that's where it starts that's where it really stops because it's as you say it's the stories i'm just not buying into 80 to 90 percent of the storylines or the dialogue or the character motivations i don't know if this stuff would work well in a comic but in a live action tv series it, it really doesn't and, and as you say this is off the back of what i think has been two, if not three, really solid seasons of Fear the Walking Dead, and it's time to kill it. I just, I've just got so many complaints, and I, I don't even know where to begin. Like, and I think it's things like, so, first of all, I feel like this whole nuclear opportunity has largely been wasted, and I would have almost liked to have actually seen Teddy survive because I feel like one of the problems with this show is that we get a bad guy and then we kind of run them into the ground so quickly that we kind of get seasonal bad guys and so there's no sort of, there's no growth. I think that's when Negan worked as a bad guy because we we kind of like hit him for a decent period of time and obviously things change. And I think, you know, now with the tower, 
in the second part of the season, this whole thing that um, Victor's been working towards, at one point, everyone's forgiving him, like near the end, like it's all just like, there's such short-term memory about what this is all about. Victor's trying to double-cross everyone, like there's so much energy and effort put into characters that you know are not going to make it. And it just, it makes it hard to kind of sit through some of these stories and, you know, like we've said a million times, Alicia, great character. I feel like they've run her into the ground, and no wonder she's left the show. Like it's, it's crazy. The, the episode with Alicia towards the end of the season. Uh, let's have a look here, Amina. That, and as you say, this is a character we talked about for ages. You know, just the season before, saying where is she? Why? Why aren't they using it? You know, that episode where she just wanted to be left behind to die. Everything about that episode was wrong. It felt like a, it felt longer than watching a test match. And as a season penultimate episode, if I was watching this week to week, I don't know how I would have coped because, and just out of interest, this one scores, and I know IMDb is not the be all and end all, but this one scores 3.9 out of 10, which is the lowest of any of the 250 plus episodes of all the Walking Dead episodes across all three seasons, even lower than those episodes of the world beyond that we talked about and said the walking dead will never be as bad as this and um and and here we are because uh yeah i i'm not surprised that um alicia debnam kirby or whatever it is how you say it, um is gone because it's they've 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 really killed it daniel is the character who remains for me the 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 strongest in terms of his story and you know this is a guy who's suffering um from different um mental illnesses or dementia and, and memory loss and, th- and so reuben blades as, as daniel is is has got a story that moderately makes sense because all the other characters and i need to talk about madison as well because her return so madison for anyone who's listening it doesn't watch the show this is a character who left who was the leader of this group for the first three and a half seasons. And she left and we haven't seen her for, for, for three years. She turns back up, but I don't know what's going on with her. And this is another classic example, right? And I think, so first of all, I think the way that the, the penultimate episode ended felt like it was the finale yeah. and it almost like the, episode, the final episode of the season gone felt like it probably should have been the first episode of the next season um, because it, it was just so kind of weird the way they ended it. But I think one of the problems that Walking Dead has is they're af- like they're afraid to actually kill off some of their main characters. They're they're okay killing off their sort of B and C tier characters, but so we know that Alicia's gone. But instead of actually having sort of closure to that, she's just off to to walk walk her own path. So that at some point, if the show makes it, they might want to bring her back. And it's the same with. Like it's, it's so frustrating because obviously that's what's happened to Rick. Then that's what's happened to more um Michonne, and it kind of a little bit makes sense with Michonne because obviously she's looking for Rick. But at the same time, she's still leaving behind Judith and her child with Rick, like to like a complete unknown universe. Like it doesn't make sense. Now we've got Alicia just sort of wandering off, and it's like, how many times can you use that same trope 
um, over and over again. And here we are back with like just just seeing her again and her and Morgan having to like find out that they actually know it like you know they're connected through the kids and now there's some other dumb bad guys who like are on a boat and they've got like sacks on their head and it's just like oh god like it's just like what's the point why why, why, why have they got those sacks on their head as well there's never any feasible explanation for that but you're right I mean they won't kill people off it it's like EastEnders you know, Doc Cotton went out of it. She came back into it like 15 years later or Dirty Den. You know, they're just going to keep, this show's going to go for another 20 years. They're going to bring these characters back and no one's ever going to die of any consequence. It's um, it's it's a show that has everything in place, like I say, from all the production side of thing and the cast, because I'm not criticizing the cast in any way, shape or form. Um, I think the direction of going into this nuclear wasteland isn't something that, I ever anticipated as part of the wider Walking Dead universe. Great group of characters, but what are we doing week to week? Madison's return should have been awesome. She She's turned back up. And this is a character who had strong, good family values, was a good leader, and they've turned into someone with none of those values. And, and well, at least as yet, insufficient story to explain how she could have changed so much in these, in these three years. Um, it's... Uh, Oh, it's 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 horrible watching a show that you know that is part of a a wider universe that we have such fond memories of when of course we're only realistically talking about walking dead seasons one to six and then maybe the last couple of seasons of fear it's it's even just sort of thinking back around you know like there were so many great characters like John Doria, right? like yes. a, a, fa- a favorite of ours yep. and then they brought in um John's dad and it kind of you know, worked for a while, but even just the way that he kind of died as a character, like it's like they kind of get these good characters and they kind of don't know what to do with them. And so they just end up kind of giving them like weird deaths or, and it there's just kind of no emotion or heart in the show anymore. And I think the fact that, you know, we've been through this whole season basically of Victor being too, too good to have half of the survivors with them. And now he's kind of back with them and, Morgan's on some Mickey Mouse adventure. Like, I'm, I'm just tired, Paul. Like, yeah. and the thought that they're making spin-off shows of Walking Dead all around the place is just ludicrous. Like, I think, like, what I, do you even have any stories left to tell? Like, yeah, that's the thing. That's that's the thing, right? Because that's as the writers, it's um, they've they've required to produce something, and there's just there's nothing there to. It's and that's why I say when I say kill it, I just say end it because you know this hasn't gone unwatchable, but let's not go too far. I mean, I don't know how many seasons they are actually planning on on doing for this, but we have you know we've already got season eight confirmed. Let's make that a final short season. Let's make it a good season. And I think if you if you really wanted to save this whole series, and I you know it's probably not going to happen now. I actually would have loved to have seen like World Beyond, Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, all actually kind of merge back together. Yeah, like, that's you right. know, is that boat that they're heading towards at the end of this season, is that actually a CRM boat? Like, how can we actually start? Like, that would be a cool crossover event, right? Like, how do we actually join up this universe and kind of steer it in a different direction? Because it just feels 
it just feels kind of like it's lacking a bit of a purpose. Other than, like, we'll go into the next season, we'll find out there's a new big bad, they're doing something that we don't like, the survivors will have to overcome it, then they'll have to escape from it, and it just yeah. it goes on and on and on. It does, and we've said it too many times. I do, I do feel like at least, you know, we've had the submarine, we've had the nuclear fallout, and now we're heading towards a boat. I mean... It's getting, and you'll have to forgive me here, Dan, but it's getting like the Fast and the Furious in the point where they're looking for the next thing. It's going to go to space next. Yeah, what's they they, they go, keep taking it to a new environment to reinvent it. Or something. And I think um, for this, yeah, for this show, I say if we're not going to kill off the show, if we're not going to kill off the characters, then can we please replace the writers? I'm done with the writers. Indeed. I wasn't going to say kill them off. I just feel like, like we've got great characters like like Austin Emilio, right? Like yes. we've got Gina yes. Hoffman. We've got like even Victor Strain, even he's a bit of a bad guy. Like Morgan, like like I think let's get like a tight group. Like let's cull the herd. Correct. And I think we'd probably get some better stories going on. Oh yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. Because if if you take you know Daniel and Victor and and Morgan and June, Dwight, uh. I don't like know. Even, Mo. I even like Mo. You know, uh, she's good. Even if you bring in the the like the the super fast running zombies from the end of World Beyond, like that would be a whole new dynamic, right? And then you combine that with the nuclear wasteland. Like, you know, the, the first thing they should have really done has been trying to get as far away from that nuclear wasteland as possible. Like, you don't want to be running around with a raincoat on your head using your um, radioactive gigameter thing to see whether it's safe to take your helmet off. Like, get out of there. Like, madness. That's Fear the Walking Dead, available to watch here in New Zealand on Neon. It's too much, Paul. It's too much. I, I, I feel sorry for the people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> they have to like, have to listen to me to, like just rant about the show. That's why. The, that's why the time codes are in there. Shall we uh, jump on over to uh, Obi Wan? So, I guess we should let the let the listeners know that we're we're recording a little bit out of cycle. So we're actually going to be talking to you this week about episode or part four and part five, and in the in the in the hopes that we actually want to bring you a a review of the final episode of Obi Wan next week, in sync with when everyone else is reviewing the show. Yeah, it's I think it's a it's a great idea that we had to do that um, because. We were recording, and then as soon as we finished recording, we'd go and watch the next episode, and so we were way behind. And um, there's so much to talk about, and so it's gonna it's it's gonna be great to talk about because right now, uh, part five is so fresh in my mind. Um, but I guess given that we're talking about the 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 two parts, I guess we should we should probably attempt to to talk about part four first, um, with Obi Wan going on a, a daring mission into enemy territory to to rescue Leia. Um, after the intensity of episode three, Dan, this was always going to be a slightly slower paced one, but I thought it was great. I thought it was tense and it gave, yeah, the, the mission Obi-Wan went on was fantastic, I thought. I thought it was great. Um, I know that this episode hasn't reviewed as well for a lot of people, but I had a great time. I loved going to... Um, castle inquisitorious matorious whatever whatever we call it like so great like especially having like visited that location in um jedi fallen order is so great and i think that you know it was sort of a, a shorter episode but i i love the fact the the whole sort of breaking into the um into that castle i loved our, our vader scenes i love the fact like 
there's just some cool moments in there, and this is this is me really jumping it, jumping ahead. But like the moment when Obi Wan's like he swam down into the into the fortress, and when he finally finds Leia, and it's all black, and then he just goes full Ahsoka Tano, and he's just like lightsaber and stormtroopers. Yeah, top tier moment. It, it really is, and uh, you know, Obi Wan has gone from being from you know what we saw of him in part three when he was getting dealt to by Vader, quite literally barely able to hold the weight of his own lightsaber in part three to now he's he he's back he's sort of he's spinning it around like um like michael byne and and with his gun and tombstone he he's almost like oh yeah look at me i've got it all back he hasn't got it all back but he's it, it's it was really nice to see him in that space i loved everything about that imperial facility um and the you know as you said the breaking in with the swimming uh, the break in and the breakout was uh hardly up to you know the standards of danny ocean um but i still i, st- I still enjoyed it i mean the, the breakout then i got i've got to talk about one criticism obi-wan walking out with this cap on his head not even facing the right way um his imperial jacket wide open he looked like a drunk walking across a five-star hotel lobby and that's that's fine but I don't know how he how believable it was that he could have got past that many stormtroopers if they'd played the Monty Python music as he was walking across like that. It would have it would have been perfectly in place. There's definitely some weird sort of goofy moments like that, and I think I've got a few of those sort of comments in our next episode. Um, where it's so funny because you have those scenes where. Uh, Tala is trying to basically enter the fortress and sort of going through the sort of third degree with security and you know the empire's always shown as being very untrusting even of its own people and then at the same time you can kind of have the you know three kids in a trench coat walking out thinking they're an adult like it's it's kind of these weird sort of juxtaposition moments but and I think made worse by the fact that they let Leia sort of peek out from under the coat. Like it was kind of like, it was almost like they were doing it to be like, Leia's under the coat, everyone, don't worry. But like we didn't need that. Like it was already a, a fairly comical scene. There's a scene with, um, uh, what's his name? Michael, My- Austin Powers. I forget which movie it is where he's he's walking along and he, I think he stood on, I think it's Mini-Me and it it just had that kind of vibe about it. It was look, it was hilarious to watch, but um, it did take me out of the moment a little bit because it just felt like really. Um, I spoke to someone about it at work, and their their position was that as he was walking, he was he was using the force to sort of put people off looking at him. But I yeah, I, I saw no evidence of that. But anyway, let's let's let that go. The Jedi tomb, Dan. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that was definitely interesting, right? Because I think the first question is, like, are, are they in some sort of, like, status? Type, stasis, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, or, like, because it, it kind of looked like the way they'd set it up, there was lights next to them. Like, were they kind of keeping them alive in some sort of, like, carbonite-type setting, or are they are they actually dead? Um, and, and just sort of the way they sort of captured some of those um, you know, obviously we've got the the younglings mm. from Order sixty six. We've got a a few great characters from fans of the Clone Wars who, who all sort of know them, but also a bunch of kind of nobodies. And I kind of actually wish they threw in a few more people that we kind of knew yes. that we could have been like, wow. That was going to be my complaint stroke comment, but I kind of wondered if um, if we're getting what people call priester eggs, where we don't know who these characters are, but maybe when we 
you know, we've got these other shows, these animated shows with Qui-Gon and Darth uh, Kent Dooku coming up. Will we see some of these characters and be like, oh, they end up in the two? Yeah, I wonder if that could be part of the thinking because it seems like a way, wasted opportunity to have just random people in there that we don't know. And my gut feel to your question, are they alive or not, is rather than it being stasis, it, it looks like amber. You know, when like a wasp mm-hmm. is in amber, whatever that's, you know, it's it, that was the impression I got. But um, definitely freaky and definitely just just great writing, great ideas. And really just every every time they went to a new one, I was just staring at the screen thinking, who is that? Who is that? Well, I think the whole the whole castle, I think, was just so awesome. From the moment we first saw it to the way they described it, it's been in the same um, system as as Vader and Mustafa and the fact that it was kind of it didn't have any shields and they didn't know how deep it went under the ocean and even just when the camera panned in and there's TIE fighters hanging from the roof and there's a bunch of stormtroopers in there. Like, it's an incredible um, place to be in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and look, uh, thinking about um, A New Hope, with the Han and Luke and the Stormtrooper costumes, thinking about Rogue One with um, Cassian, and thinking about Last Jedi with um, Finn, and yeah, you know, I love that. The the always the undercover in Star Wars is always exciting. Breaking into a place that you would never want to go to um, is always high tension. And I'm the same as you. I really enjoyed it. I'm surprised it's tracking this this episode Dan, just to give us some context this episode is tracking lower than some episodes of season seven of the walking dead i don't know what planet some people are living on to be able to make that that ranking i think the problem the problem is is that the whole star wars fandom is so toxic for the large majority of it that people are just so angry and they want such specific things and they're, they're never going to get it you've got to kind of take it for what star wars is and i think you know when you think about every single movie but a content like there's always lots of flaws with it but you know what we learn to love it and it ages so so well over time and i think this is going to be no different and i think for me that's why i just enjoy like i'm just so grateful to have an obi-wan series and i'm so glad we like they're already doing so much to bring in other parts of the universe and giving us other opportunities to tell new stories it's i think this is such a great time to be a, a star wars fan I do want to ask you one question, for, um, Paul, before we sort of go into the end of this episode, is obviously now, and I, I feel like this is since the book of Boba Fett, um, oh, I guess even a bit of the Mandalorian, like, I feel like back to tanks are just solving, they're, they're, they're force healing back to tanks to solve any problems, like, and they've always been a thing in Star Wars, but I feel like we've now gone deep down that path of like, don't worry about it, you'll get a robotic hand, and you'll get in the back to tank, you'll be right as rain. I've looked on Amazon I can't find one, but they seem to be the answer to all problems, a back-to-tank. And um, Obi-Wan looks good as new. Like, I mean, because one of the things I did well with um, Timur Morrison's Boba Fett in uh, the book of Boba Fett was they had him come out of the back-to-tank, but he still looked, you know, a little messed up and not quite how how he was. And so, and obviously the same with what we see of Vader, um, minus the suits you know um obi-wan's come out like he like he's walked out of the salon you you know um i love just quickly changing i love the the imperial droid thing that was going around that obi-wan was sort of racing around the the place and sort of trying to avoid and then the whole scene with the water and the flooding and how he uses the force to create that sound to put the stormtroopers in a different direction just like he does in a new hope there were some really nice touches in there 
I think the other big moment, obviously, of this episode, well, there's, I guess there's a couple more big moments, particularly with Vader coming back, but we had the the, the snow speeders, the, the T-47s. Um, and I would say my complaint here is I... I've never, I've never thought of the snowspeeder as being such a nimble craft at kind of like low speeds. And the speed that they came into that hangar and then kind of paused in midair and were just shooting all the stormtroopers, kind of like, like from a, a physics point of view, just didn't seem to work for me. And I, on second watch, it wasn't so bad, but it definitely kind of like they just came in so fast. I almost expected them to be sort of flying out again of the of the hangar as opposed to just kind of hovering there and blasting stormtroopers. Yeah, I didn't think that but hearing you say it i understand what you're saying now i think it reminds me of a cutscene from rogue one that we never saw in the film but we saw in the trailer with the the tie fighter that flies right up to Jin uh in that trailer mm. and it was kind of but that is top of the line top tie fighter so you kind of expect it i guess if i think about how nimble they were going around the 8080s creating a relatively small circle around something which appears quite big but actually in reality probably isn't um look i hear you I'm going to let it go. I just loved hearing the sound of those, 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 uh, T, 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 T47. Thank you. Yeah. What about how many people jumped in the back of the snow speeder? Like, I was like, oh, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. You know, <laughs> you know, you can fit a Lego figure in the front yep. and in the back. <laughs> That's right. You, you can't, you can't have, you know, kids in the trench coat and, uh, Tala and everyone jumping in there. That, that was nothing. I was like, what? This has got to be a different model. It's got to be because when Dak was in the back of Luke's, but he looked like, you know, like when you, you go on a, a holiday and everyone's packed the cart with all the suitcases and you've got a, you know, either side of you, there's, that's how it not, looks in Empire Strikes Back. Either way, it was a, a, a fun scene and a fun heist. And I, I appreciated in this episode that um, I guess Obi-Wan sort of, you know, he got in, he got Leia out and, and they kind of made their getaway. It was a, it was a, a good tight episode in that regard and i think it was always going to trend lower than the than episode three oh, because yeah. it, it didn't have the you know the the jewel that everyone's looking for yeah oh i think I, I i expect i know the ratings are sort of all over the place at the moment because they're still coming in on votes for episode five but i expect by the end of it part three to probably still be the the, the, the top episode thus far even though i think we're we've been treated with episode five as well but before we go into that then the, as you said, the ending of, of part four, um, another classic Star Wars, you know, the with Tarkin with the with the tracking beacon aboard the Falcon and the the tracking on the on the the one in the Last Jedi. Here we have the tracking uh, the third sister puts in place on on the little droid of Leia's little droid Lola, um, clever. But Vader marching down that corridor yelling at the third sister about his impatience that whole vibe is incredible that's how i that's how i feel when i'm walking into a meeting i don't want to go to at work he had a real vibe about him matching along that corridor i've seen you walk that way to the train station correct on a, you know a friday afternoon so correct i think you're right like that was a such a great moment and i just love that he came in so hot and so angry and i think the best part of this for me is we're getting we're getting Rogue One Darth Vader. That's it. Like he's he's triggered, Paul. He's well and truly triggered. I mean, I would trump you that and say we're getting Empire Strikes Back Vader in terms of his level of being triggered about a number of things that happened in that movie. But I just thought 
it was a really good way to end the movie at end of the end the episode uh, without thinking about what we've seen in part five at that point i'm thinking oh yeah okay he's he's really he's really buying into the third sister and the you know, she, she, you know, he, he says something along the lines of, oh, it seems I underestimated you. And, um, that, that's as good as a compliment as you can expect from, from Vader to be saying, oh, well, I guess I underestimated. That's, that's, that's high praise. That's, that's you're getting a promotion next week. Mm, that is a, that is a good shout. Shall we jump over to five? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So, so yeah, part five, Obi-Wan planning his next move as the Empire closes in on him trying to draw him out um i don't i'm not sure where to start with this one there but what i will say is you may recall i must have messaged you maybe a day or so maybe even a less than a day maybe it was the morning of the day when i said i'm really enjoying everything but i really feel like i need to see hayden christensen as anakin somehow whether that's a a vision or a dream or a flashback or something because it's great having him there in the suit and in the back to tank but i really wanted to see him first scene of this new episode we're, we're panning into the back of anakin circa attack of the clones because obi-wan's got that dreadful mullet what a treat amazing and i know like i think we just have to acknowledge it and move on that obviously this is <laughs> a, a 42 year old Hayden Christensen playing the Attack of the Clones uh, version of Anakin. And I just think we should all give it a pass. I don't want to hear any like negativity about it. Like, cause it's, it was just so great. It was so great to have that throwback. And I love that they were having their lightsaber practice or their duel in the same spot where the, the younglings were, yes. were basically um, killed in the, in the opening scenes, like you said, the part one. I thought it looked great, and I, I know that that hasn't been the reaction across the board for for everyone. But I think there's been a lot of positive reaction because everyone, as as you said, I think even as early as part one, the the reception the, the for for Hayden coming back into the franchise, you know, this is this is literally to the year twenty years after Attack of the Clones, so it's twenty years to be trying to portray that that character's age. I thought was tremendous and obviously the effects that they've used and the de-aging was, was was very clever i just i just found it like obviously there's a there's an element of um you know fanboy service or fangirl service whatever about seeing them sparring in the past because it was amazing to see it but having it be used really cleverly so they had it being used as a memory that both of them were reflecting on was really clever so we got vader you know with an, I guess, an unknown emotion at the start because of the mask, you can't tell. But the body language seemed to be like he was had a feeling of regret or that he was missing that bond. And um, then he thinks about that memory and how he can apply it to the situation to get Obi Wan. And, and Obi Wan's also thinking about that memory, and he's using it as a means to work out how to better Vader based on how Vader always needs to be victorious and be so proud about it. And then the best moment of that that whole flashback for me was where in the memory flashback obi-wan says to anakin your need to always be victorious or whatever is why you'll always be a padawan and given that it's happened to him again when the camera then comes back to vader in the present his his body language his 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 shoulders somehow look smaller i don't know if they use a really good angle or something but they're sort of showing vader who's who, despite what we saw in episode three you know and, and him pulling the force then pulling the ship down which we'll talk about later he's still 
not quite at the top of his game because he's been bested again by by Obi-Wan. And I would love to have seen his actual facial expression at that point. I think this is just a, a full credit to everyone working on this, right? And particularly Deborah Chow, um, yeah. who's directing all of these episodes. I think because it's, it's the same with The Mandalorian, right? Like, how do you convey emotion through a full set of armor and we've seen it in the Mandalorian and we, we've seen it here and they've just they do something amazing I think it is with the camera angles with the the way the actors kind of like poise their bodies it's it's great it, it really is really clever because you, you and I can both pick up on what that emotion is Vader is feeling through that mask and it's it's it is it's it's it is a credit to the the production the direction the the whole works it's um Vader just I don't want to jump in too much, but Vader force pulling down the ship and ripping off the doors was was awesome. It reminded me of, from my memory, the first time I ever saw that with Starkiller in the the Force mm-hmm. Unleashed video game. There was one of the other things that we said when we were talking before the episode. I'd said what I'd said about Hayden, and you said I, I think I think we're going to get a Vader centric episode, and I think. Overall, there was a lot going on, but that definitely was what we got here. Yeah, and I think there's, there's there's so much goodness there, and it's kind of hard not to jump around. But I think that scene with the ship, I just love it when we see angry Vader because, you know, I think some of the best things in Star Wars are kind of like the 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 threat and the mystery of what could be. And I think you know, seeing these little glimpses of kind of Vader being angry and it working on camera is so good. And I think, you know, we talked about it with Book of Boba Fett, right? With Boba Fett, he's actually a character that's best left in with a little bit of mystery. Mm. And and when they sort of show too much, it kind of makes you feel differently about it. But I, I like that they're leaning into with Vader. We're not going to show good guy Vader. We're showing Vader like relentlessly trying to track down obi-wan he wants to finish the job yeah absolutely relentless just like i mean i guess his his job description is is pretty open in terms of what he wants to do and where he wants to go and how he wants to do it because he's assistant to the regional manager isn't he? <laughs> he's assistant i thought he was assistant regional manager is it assistant to the regional manager to the regional manager okay yeah. um no you're absolutely right he angry vader and driven vader is great i i would love to see this sounds weird but something about the transition of him from back to to suit there's something about um sort of seeing him in reflective mode i do think we maybe saw too much of boba fett's face in the boba fett series which i kind of was biased about enjoying because of course it was a new zealander but i think not knowing what his face is telling us has always been part of the mystery. And so, yeah, I, I wonder if we'll get any more of that in episode, in episodes, in episode six, the final episode next week. But um, just to quickly change back to, to Obi-Wan, talking about him, you know, gunslinging in part four. In this one, the force is definitely flowing back through him a little bit more now. He's force pushing. And then at the end, he can sense that something's wrong. And that's back on the planet where he's just left it some distance away. He's definitely coming back into the zone. I think with his, now that he's more in tune with the force, I think potentially he's maybe open to receive incoming calls from force ghost Jedi's. Dan, that, that's that's my one big sticking point here. And I have to say, Qui-Gon Jin Liam Neeson, is, is really late to the party. I have to say... 
I didn't expect to see as much Vader as we've seen already, and I thought it'd be later. I did expect to see Qui-Gon as early as episode three, and we here we are now going into the final episode and still no sign. I am expecting to see him 100%, otherwise I question everything about the recap they did, about the attempts by Obi-Wan to call him that have failed. There can be no doubt in my mind that Liam Neeson is in that finale, and he better be there in person as well otherwise this is no different to what liam neeson gave us in rebels i'm i'm, I'm putting expectations down there i'm getting real greedy right <laughs> look before we jump into some predictions on episode five should we talk about a few of these episode six sorry should we talk about a few of the other things that happened in this season so in the show yeah show episode so we've we've lost unfortunately tala yeah which i i, I was really loving tala as a character um we've lost my favorite droid of all time yeah. the lifter droid I love the connection that Tala and the lifter had. It borderline looked romantic, the way they kind of were like looking into each other's eyes. Um, I was surprised when they uh, when the, at the start of the episode, when they first sort of land back down and Obi-Wan basically says to Leia, run along and play. Like, actually, you need to stay right beside me <laughs> at all times. Um, but obviously we had like a very sort of heavy episode, particularly with um, Reva as well. And I think, you know, Reva's a, a, almost a, this is the Reva show as much as it is the Obi-Wan show, um, because really we've seen a, a huge sort of character arc with her. Yeah. And I would say one of my, um, I guess, complaints with this, well, I've got two complaints with this episode actually, but overall it's still, it's still out of 10 out of 10, but if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick some holes. I didn't like the fact that they could just talk through the through the big steel door. <laughs> yeah. Like I found that fr- so frustrating. Like, are you using the force to talk to each other, or are you just whispering? Because that looks like a steel door, and you're just both whispering very quietly. And I felt like, almost in a way, like Reva was too trusting and just sort of revealing all her cards to Obi Wan. Like, wh- why? Why? Like, I get why you might do it, but. I don't know if it felt earned. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, well, I hadn't thought about the door, but I, I think you're right there as well. Maybe your cell phone would have been handy at that point. The um, the, the the opening up, um, she did, I think she knew that she'd been found out and I really was glad that they addressed it so, you know, I, did, I guess they did paint by numbers a little bit, really sort of lead us so that we understood fully about how Obi-Wan put it together. Oh, you knew that he was Anakin before that. So you must be a young, you know, they really spelt that out. And I guess if she accepted, oh, well, he knows that much. So maybe I'm just going to open up. Maybe there's, you know, there was still good in her. I mean, the fact that I feel naive because I didn't see the the double cross coming at all, but that was her, her game right from the start, or at least not that it was always her intent. I thought at some point she might come to Obi-Wan's aid. So like if she saw him and Vader in a, in a saber duel, she might, she might have a moment where she's back as a youngling in her head and she'll come back to the light and, and she was going to come in and, and intervene and she would get slain and, and Obi-Wan would get away as, as we know he obviously does. Um, but I sure didn't see the triple cross coming um, with, 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 with Vader, you know, setting her up, giving her that, essentially that fake promotion. Uh, and then, you know, at the end when she tries her luck, I mean, as soon as she walked up behind him, I said, I literally said out loud, I said, she's in trouble. I mean, this is it. You know, and then Vader's like, did you really believe I never saw it, youngling? And then we've got a great 
a great entrance from from Peter Quinn as the as the as the Grand Inquisitor. If my manager ever decides to promote me on the fly without consulting HR, just in the office because she's pleased with my work, my spidey senses will be tingling. It's there was a lot going on there, right? And the fact that again, this whole scene plays back to the the memory of um, the duel between Obi Wan and Anakin, right? And yep. it's I love the fact that. Um, first of all, Vader's just kind of like sidestepping the, the fight. He's just kind of sidestepping her, her lightsaber. When he finally gets the lightsaber, he snaps it in half and, and gives her half of it to sort of give her a fair shot. And I, I think you're right. Like, I even love the fact the way they sort of reintroduced the Grand Inquisitor, who I kind of felt like we knew was alive the whole time anyway, yeah. because of, because of rebels. And I, I love that he's like, I want to leave you, leave you in the gutter in the same way that we found you. Um, it was you're right. It was a a fantastic scene and a great way to bring a another big lightsaber jewel in the mix. I was surprised that Obi Wan left behind his lightsaber. I feel like he could have hidden it somewhere and picked it up. Like he kind of just yeah. I was know? I was shocked by that as well. And also, if you're going to leave that little uh, communicator thing behind, maybe delete your voicemail before you do that. Um, the, this is my biggest. This is my absolute number one biggest complaint of this episode, Paul. Jimmy Smith's Senator Bail Organa is he is a top tier um rebel. Like he knows this stuff. He's not leaving voice messages that are like, I'll go and see Owen and the boy. Like, it's too much information. He'd be talking in code. No one's just like leaving that out. Like that was it felt everything we know about Senator Bail Organa. I feel like that just didn't feel and like it felt like a real just kind of it was done for the story. And I feel like justice for Bail Organa because yeah. he's better than that. And the thing is, I didn't feel any tension, even with the ending with Obi-Wan sensing that something's happened and and Reva seeing that message and putting two and two together. I still don't feel any tension around that because we've all seen A New Hope and that Luke is perfectly fine on the farm and that Vader has no idea that it's his son and that he he lives on Tatooine. So, so no matter what happens in this final episode, we know that those things are never going to pan out. So I didn't feel the tension of her discovering that because because we know by the time we get to a new hope that the empire has no idea. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just it's just bad writing on on for the for once in this series. I think it's it's interesting, right? Because what are they going to do with Reva's character? Is she going to go and try and um, capture Luke herself to kind of redeem herself with the with the Inquisitors? Is she going to take this information straight to Vader? Is she going to like go and partner with Obi-Wan and I feel like because there's still so much fan service we're looking for in this final episode it kind of would have been nice just to kind of have that that part of the story wrapped up and yeah. we could have had a a final episode just focused on all the stuff of our dreams yeah that's right all of the just let's, let's have let's have a whole hour episode please focus then on on that because when you see the length the runtime of these episodes you know you've got a recap then you've got the the the, the star wars lucasfilm bit then you've got the intro graphic that actually can take like two minutes and then the end of the episode i looked for the last two episodes have both been six minutes of credits so you're straight away you're taking eight minutes off of whatever runtime you get so that's a nice episode you know you're about you're down to 30 minutes I'm with you, Paul. Like I'm, and I've kind of become used to it because all of the other Disney Plus shows that I've been watching, particularly the Marvel ones, have the same six or seven minute credits where they give you the credits in English, then they give it to you often in Spanish as well. And it's like, come on, guys! Like we've got to get it tighter. My um, 
my one oh, before I talk about my complaint, the the other thing I thought was quite good because Leia has sort of taken a little bit of a backseat with all this other stuff going. But once again, she proves her value at such a young age. You know, she's the one sorting out the door. She's the one disabling the the third sister's tracker on on her on her droid. Um, so Leia's still playing her bit. She's she's really she's beyond proved herself to be of absolute value even at a young age. My biggest complaint, though, Dan, of this episode actually was a real minor thing and i guess we haven't seen it play out because we don't know how six is going to go yet but they're on the ship they've got away and we hear the wonderful sound of the hyperdrive conking out just like the sound of the falcon when that always goes wrong and i'm like okay so they they're, they're out of gas they, they've run out whatever but they, they've got away and then suddenly uh i've forgotten his name sorry um says to obi-wan Rogan. Rogan, yep. It says um, the hyperdrive engine's out and they're right behind us. Now, the last time I checked, once a ship went to hyperspace, that was it. They were gone. That was the whole way the Falcon got away from, from Vader and Empire. That was the whole way, um, you know, many other scenes. And it was only when we got to The Last Jedi when suddenly there was this big change where, oh, they can track ships through hyperspace. That was a big change in the Star Wars universe. How's, how are they being chased through hyperspace at this point in the timeline? Again, I I don't want this, Paul, because this is gonna this is gonna be an annoying um, chase fight scene um, instead of moving on to the story that we want in the the final episode. Like, I don't, I just want them to like. Can you just drop off Princess Leia and like start to kind of like start wrapping this up? And I know that Bail Organa doesn't want to get involved, but like he needs like send some ships, like get get Ahsoka Tano on the blower. Get her on the horn, get her in, get Fulcrum in there, and sort this out. Like, like the fact that you're just kind of letting it happen, and I, 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 maybe it's just the books that I've been reading, Paul. Particularly, you know, when I think about the Ahsoka one, yeah, and I think about her relationship with Bail Organa, and just the the mastermind sort of moves that he's pulling in the background to make sure things happen. I feel like he's leaving a lot to fate with his daughter, and almost even in his voice messages, like, oh, I guess if if Leia's not there, I better head for the boy. Like, yeah. Really, come on, mate. Yeah, that's yeah. I picked up on that too. That was a bit, bit weak. Um, I think I'd originally, when you and I talked about this, said, "Oh no, Ahsoka's not going to come into this because you know she's got her own show coming up." But wouldn't it, wouldn't it be really wonderful to have a series where we've got live action Obi Wan with live action uh, Ahsoka and and possibly a flashback for her and Anakin as well? Yeah, another live action flashback or something. I think that would be a again. It's fan service. I would lose my mind, Paul. Yeah, I would lose my mind. It would be fantastic. And there is an opportunity to do it just subtly, but we are going to need a long episode. I'm predicting it's going to say 58 minutes, I'm predicting, for this finale. It better start with a five, I swear to God. If I come into this episode <laughs> and it starts with a three. I think the other question is, you know, it's always it was always said, and I know that you're a, you're a big believer in these things, this is a miniseries, but there's already lots of rumours about a second season. Like, what do you think about this? I... I'm going to be controversial and say I would love more, but I I want to leave it at this because it I don't I don't need it going fear the Walking Dead on me. I don't need too much. I I I think the shorter we keep it, we've already been treated to more than I expected in terms of um, some of the some of the characters. I, I think I I do need Obi Wan and Vader to have another showdown of some description. There has because the dialogue between those two is what resonates with me the most. But um, I don't know. I I feel like 
we've got other series going on in this timeline, like Ahsoka and other, and I think there's other ways to explore. Oh, I guess that's not this timeline, is it? That's the Ahsoka series is later. But yeah, I I'm going to be controversial and say I reckon leave it be because we've been really treated here. I think if you are going to have more, like you could have more Inquisitor sort of live action stories. Yes. Potentially with like bits of Vader, but not full Vader, right? Like yeah. kind of like reporting in, checking into the assistant regional manager. Um, but it doesn't have to be Vader centric. Cause I, like, I, I don't think Ewan McGregor wants to play this character forever, but I think making sure it's left in a good place is critical. But at the same time, the more content they put in between existing kind of boundaries of the universe, the more careful and complex it kind of gets. So it's, I think it is, it is a risky game. I think we're going to have to, yeah, I think you're right. And I think we're also going to have a bit more Tatooine to come because we, you know, we came into this series. Well, I certainly did thinking oh, it's because of the posters and the style. It was, it's all Tatooine. And we've, we've, I can't even remember. It was, seems like a, a year ago we were on Tatooine. I feel like we're going to go back there because I feel like, we didn't really get any Aunt Beru, and I know, of course, that she's been part of the cast. So I think we're we're gonna at least finish there. We've got to get Leia back to uh, Alderaan, um, and and so we're in the middle of a hyperspace chase. So there's a lot of little bits and pieces that are gonna take up. I'm looking at I'm being like a project manager now. I'm looking at time. We're gonna to have to factor in for all these things, and what time is that gonna give us left for the major story to actually? wrap up i think you could potentially see another sort of flashback in there right like it had maybe even a different sort of like time period like a bit of a a jump forward to maybe oh yeah obviously pre-revenge revenge of the sith but you could see that being another mechanism uh, to kind of feed into the the potential fight could be interesting could be interesting i do have a question for you dan i want to ask and this is because i always remember i remember on the special features of the of the blu-ray for rogue one remember the director Gareth Edwards talking about the struggle in that movie to include just the right amount of Darth Vader in the movie. And he said something along the lines of the danger was once you have Darth Vader on screen, all you want is Vader. And I'm just, before we go into that finale, how do you think this series is tracking on that factor? This is already playing with Fireball because we've already had a lot of Vader. And every time he's on screen, he consumes everything. He's all we want to see. All we want to see is him and um, Obi-Wan have vicious duels. I kind of of hate seeing lightsaber duels when people are using the same color sword. (laughs) I I like the red and blue or the the red and green. Um, It's tough to answer. Like We're definitely getting more Vader without a doubt. And I think... You know, like all Star Wars series, you're never going to please everyone. There's going to be upset people. But I think I'm I'm still in the camp of I'm just so grateful that we've even had this second helping um, of this part of the timeline. Yeah. So I'll kind of take it whether, even if we never saw Vader again um, in this episode, which I know it won't be the case, I would still kind of feel content um, that we, we've had a, a good run. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I'm now... You know, as I said before, getting greedy, talking about Qui Gon and and other things. I am. Um, there was one moment where when Vader ripped the saber in half, and then he at the end he has both sabers. And of course, we've never seen Vader. And I thought for one moment, based on his poise, that we were going to see him start coming in with two sabers, a la Ahsoka. Or and I thought 
I was actually glad that they didn't because that's never been Vader's style. But at one moment, the no. way he was stood, I thought, oh, wow, are they going to do that? Or is he just going to reenact the, the Count Dooku beheading? Um, so oh, yeah, that would have been great. I, I think they've handled things really well. And I just, um, yeah, I just, I just hope, I hope we leave this series with some more than anything. If I could have one thing, it would be dialogue between Obi-Wan and Vader that's meaningful because the lines from part three, what have you become? I am what you made me. And all of those things you've become weak. Those lines are the ones which stay with me the most. Cause we've had a lot of Vader lines talking to the third sister and the grand inquisitor and so on, but actually it's the lines with Obi-Wan that really matter. It's funny, isn't it? Just as you were talking, I was, I was thinking that in reality now, given this part of the story, there's actually no way that Obi-Wan should be going back to Tatooine because in theory, the Inquisitors know that he's from Tatooine now. And so regardless, he'd be hunted yeah. endlessly on Tatooine. So he's actually making it unsafe for Luke as well. But I think that'll be sort of glossed over. But I think a scene I could see this season or this, this show ending on will be potentially uh, Obi-Wan getting his little house that he has from A New Hope. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I imagine Bell or going to be like, look, you're doing good work here. You know, let's get your house. Let's get you set up, mate. You don't have to live in a cave. Maybe that'll make things a bit easier for you. Bell or has got some credits up his sleeve. He could easily find him a, a relatively affordable place. Oh, the Tatooine market is pretty, pretty decent this time of year. I think so. I think so. I think it's good. I'm... I feel like we've kind of talked about quite a few sort of critiques and things of this, but I just want to reiterate, overall, oh, yeah. I think we're, we're big fans. We we love it. We can't get enough of it. We love to pick it apart and we love to talk about it, but it's it's kind of done with love as opposed to The Walking Dead universe, which is done with pure hatred. Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, all of the conversations we're having, I'm overwhelmed by this series and yeah, I feel exactly the same. It's just, it's just analysis. It's just, it's what we do. It is what we do. Shall we uh, jump on over to the movie of the week? Yep. So every week, uh, Dan and I take it in turns. We choose a movie. We watch and review it. We announce what that movie will be over in our Discord community, uh, which you can join by clicking the link in the show notes. Uh, and then we review it a week later. Here we are, Dan. This week, we've gone with 2021 movie, My Son. So this is a, a movie starring uh, James uh, McAvoy and Claire Foy, and it's basically driving in the heart of the Highlands. Edmund Murray receives a call from his ex-wife in tears. Their seven-year-old son went missing from a campsite. Soon it becomes clear that the child was kidnapped and the parents give way to despair. Really tense, this movie, Dan. This was just... One of those one of those movies that really hits home. Uh, it was really superb cinematography. It was really beautifully shot. My memory of this movie, just thinking about it now, is these wonderful uses of of, of, the, of the the scenery and the terrain in Scotland. The the direction, just a, a great overall feel. Um, I have some issues with some big plot decisions, not plot holes, but some decisions that just didn't make sense and it really bugged me and I, I guess I'll get into those in it but overall as a movie as watching it I found it really tense and I don't know if enjoyable is the word to use but I, I guess I would say I would straight away I'm saying I would recommend this to someone to watch because it was intense how about you yeah, I found this a, a, a pretty good movie. Um, something interesting I found out about this movie after watching it is that our 
our main actor, uh, James McAvoy, he actually didn't have a script. He improvised all of his scenes. So all of the other characters in this had a script and he was kind of finding out about it in real time and, you know, acting in response to what was going on in the in the film, That's, which kind of like escalates it to a whole nother level for me. That is extraordinary. I'm really glad you've brought that to my attention because I would, how, how would anyone have possibly have guessed that? And what's funny is, when he's talking to the the police officer, just to jump into anyone who hasn't watched the movie, it won't make any sense yet, but uh, there were moments when he was talking to him where he was sort of changing track. And I was almost like, they've made him say that in a really long, like he could have said that a lot briefer is what I was thinking in my head. There was moments, you know, I mean, that's rich coming from me. I know I talk at length, but there was moments where I was like, that's a really long way of saying something really simple. And so you telling me that, that's extraordinary. Yeah, like I think they've tried to sort of portray that real life, like how how would a, a parent react? I think my main criticism of this movie is I actually think we've been treated to such delights um, like Broadchurch and other particularly English BBC shows where they tell a much deeper story about the same thing, but over sort of, yeah. you know, four or five hours. And I think what this movie kind of lacked was a bit of character development for me to really be invested in not just, you know, our, our main stars, but I, I kind of wanted the mystery of like, like the kind of the whodunit and what's the, the deeper, darker meaning that's going on in this, in this little town, because there was clearly some stories to be told and it was a, a very sort of, dark story but i i don't know to be honest if it worked as a movie yeah i i think it did work as a movie for me but i definitely had a similar vibe to you i, I wasn't i think broadchurch is a good show i wasn't thinking of broadchurch i was actually thinking of the missing um and baptiste uh, those those series which are you know just harrowing watching for, for, for parents with young kids um my yeah my sort of complaints were more uh, very specific things and again if you haven't watched this i'm going to be talking spoilers so and if you haven't watched it, it may not make sense what i'm about to say but to you dan when he was talking when james mcavoy's character was talking to um uh to the to the claire foy's new partner so to the guy so the, the guy who's living with the with, with the son there despite this boy being missing this guy was excited about blueprints for the new house, which was weird, but that's okay. But then suddenly on the blueprints, there was no room for the son who'd gone missing in the blueprints. So that is weird. And so I understand James McAvoy's reaction to thinking, have you done something? Because this is weird. And yet when he got the chance to bring it up with his ex-wife, he never did that. That would be the first question he would ask her because he's lost all credibility there because she's really angry at him, rightly so, for, you know, he's smacking the crap out of her, her new partner. And all he needs to say is, what about the blueprints? Where's where's our son's room? So that was odd. And then the second one, which I thought was odd, was the cop that was questioning James McAvoy. He was just, he had, I mean, he had zero empathy to his situation and the way he reacted to what James McAvoy was telling him in terms of good intel wasn't realistic but even though i accepted that um i i just thought that then later he when he showed back up he was suddenly all matey matey and he was like oh look if you want anything sorted you're gonna have to do this yourself there was just some really really 
bad writing around those factors and i don't know how specifically you remember it then but those things just bugged me i wonder whether that is though is that the writing or is this the improvising all of these scenes because like i feel like they've gone they've tried to do something very creative but when you're trying to do this in kind of a, a yeah, movie type okay. format it gets a bit loose because i i had the same thoughts as you like wouldn't this be the first thing you're talking to your yeah. ex-wife about? Like, but you're right. Like, it kind of, it kind of drifted on. And I think again, good shout on that relationship with um, Gary Lewis as Inspector Roy because at one point I'm like, is, is this guy? Is he behind this? Like, yeah. Like, because he seemed to be quite hot and cold on trying to solve the mystery and kind of stepping away and then kind of helping James's character. And it's, it, I was never clear on his intent. And then by the time we actually got to who the bad guys were, not to mention. Um, James's character had a whole bunch sort of dark story of his own going on with whatever his mysterious background was in the in the oil industry. Like it, it just didn't add up to a nice package. No, and that's why I think we needed the like. I think there's a better story to be be told with a bit more character development. And I think, to be honest, tighter writing. Or if you're going to have someone improvise it, I think you need to do a few takes and then kind of let them know actually what's happening and have them have a few more goes at it yeah fair, fair shout on gary lewis's character and also shout out because gary lewis as the dad uh, as the dad and billy Ellett was always great and and gangs of new york he's great but in this of course he's also having to improvise you know back from what he's getting from from james mcavoy i presume to a certain extent so that was that was interesting um yeah this the, the the TV show, the six part, four part miniseries of this would be a fascinating watch. I've, I I I still think it works as a movie, but I think I agree with you. I think it would have worked even better as a as a TV show to explore in a bit more detail. Not ten episodes, not eight, but four or six. I think I think you're right. I think that would have been really good. The other thing I thought the I mean the dynamic between James McAvoy and Claire Foy. I thought that was really good. I felt really, it felt so real, like as you would expect in real life, a couple that have split, have a, a kid that, that they just really convinced me across that Claire Foy actually wasn't in this as much as I, as I thought she might be. This is only an hour and 35 runtime, which is, you know, a good runtime for some movies, but as you said, for this movie, you almost need more. But she's she's very convincing in this. I've every time I see her, I always think, um, you know, like, like in First Man and as the Queen and the Crown, it's just she always just delivers a really high level performance. She's really talented, and yeah, I I just thought there was more room for her character as the mother because I felt like her her side of things was just as interesting and as important as 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 the dads with James McAvoy. The other thing that um this movie has is some pretty intense torture scenes as well, yeah. right? For a Oh, like when he started burning the guy's feet. Like I mean that's I guess it's almost a criticism for me. Like because ninety five percent of the time that guy was innocent because there was zero evidence other than two photos that could have been any kid's parent that happened to be at both events. So there's, okay. So it, I guess it was a good twist that this actually was a guy who was guilty and was involved. But if he'd been innocent, how, how would we have continued to empathize with James McAvoy's you know, character, even even given the circumstances when you're going along with a blowtorch to someone's feet? Mm-hmm. It's so funny, isn't it? Because, you know, we often talk about for movie of the week, you know, hour 35, 
great type of movie, particularly if it's like yeah. not good or or not or great. Action, like it's just action, in the, yeah. yeah, or actually like it just kind of works as a as a good time. So I think it's saying all of these things. Like I for a dark topic and a and a grim topic, um, I had a okay time with this movie. I just think it's got a lot of room for like it could have been so much better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, despite all the criticisms I've just said and the plot problems, I, as I said at the start, I still recommend this movie. I am really glad I watched it. I'd probably, uh, I'd probably go two and a half guns. Um, but the thing is, the good in this for me is really good. And so I would say, if you can stomach the plot, because I don't believe it is for everyone, then I would say go watch it. Yeah, I'd probably give it a probably a two guns for me. Yep. Um, it's. There's definitely we've watched far worse, you know. We've watched Fear the Walking Dead, so <laughs> we've watched far worse this week. Um, but yeah, if you're in New Zealand, uh, that uh, my son is available to watch on Prime Video. Dan, uh, nice. what do you think then for your pick of the week this week of everything you've seen? It's got to be Obi Wan. I yeah. it's it's just the best. Like it's as we keep saying, it's bringing all of the the feels, the emotion, the it's all the Star Wars I've ever wanted uh, coming together. And I'm I'm already sad that it's coming to an end. I know. It's it's become a weekly routine. And I think this week, it's definitely a, a pick of the week, especially as it was a double episode review for us this week. So such a highlight, delivering such great story as well. So, um, so there we go. Dan, shall we head over to your news desk to see what's going on? All right, so uh, a little bit of Squid Games news to start off with. So it looks like Squid Games is getting turned into a Netflix reality show with one of the biggest cash prizes ever. What? So they're going to be they're going to be giving away four point five six million dollars. I presume they're not going to be killing people, but who knows, Paul? <laughs> who knows? I've never watched reality TV in my life, and this is the first time I'm seriously considering it. it there's a, a YouTuber by the name of Mr Beast who. Um, who recreated the set and did a, a game show of it? It's it's quite a good watch actually if you're if you're a fan of Squid Games. Uh, we've also had, and I felt like this was already confirmed, but it seems to be confirmed again. We've got official confirmation um, that Squid Games season two is in development and will be coming soon. So for those fans, um, definitely check that out. I am sure we'll be talking about it here on the pod when that comes to comes to life. Excellent. For those fans of, like you say, Fast and the Furious and be a little bit of anime, Justin Lin is directing a live-action One Punch Man movie. That is a, a fantastic anime, um, if, you're, if you've never watched it. Highly recommended, so I'd definitely be intrigued to, to see what Justin can do with that. Awesome. Paddington 3 is now called Paddington in Peru, and it's got a new director, but great stuff, Paul. Those Paddington movies, top tier. Especially Paddington 2. Fantastic stuff. Glad to see that number three is still in the works. Old mate Timura Morrison played Boba Fett. You may remember him from the book of Boba Fett. He wants to bring back the old badass ways of Boba Fett, which kind of is interesting, right? Because I think we're obviously going to see more Boba potentially in The Mandalorian. And it does make me wonder, are we going to get to see some more of uh, of Boba Fett in his own series? Mm. I feel like he's been attending the um, Star Wars celebration. He's he's not gone anywhere from, from that sort of universe. So look, I wouldn't be surprised. Very interesting. Two final bits of news for me. 
So The Boys, uh, season three is currently streaming on Prime Video, has already been renewed for season four, so that's very good news. And then the final bit of news, Joker 2, which we talked about last week. Um, it looks like Lady Gaga is potentially rumoured to be starring as Harley Quinn, with a second rumour that Joker 2 may become a musical. I've, I've heard about this from a couple of people this week, and I've had a couple of conversations with those people, and my end position on this is that there are certain movie franchises in this world that, quite frankly, I feel should never be musicals. Star Wars, Star Trek, James Bond, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Terminator, Batman, Mission Impossible, Dirty Harry. I made a list of, because I've had this conversation, and I just, it doesn't appeal to me at all, and that's really disappointing, because Joker, you and I had such an amazing time with it, and Joker 2 would be such a special thing. It's not the news I wanted to hear that it's going to be a musical. That's 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 a very odd experiment for me. For me. It definitely sounds like a terrible idea. Um, it doesn't sound like the Joker that I want, but I'm the more I think about this, I think two things. One, it's either like a giant just kind of like ruse to kind of stir up a bit of uh um conversation about the about you know Joker, particularly because it's got Lady Gaga also potentially rumored to be in it. But I also wonder, because they did something so amazing with the Joker could they actually pull this off? Like, in a way that we're not expecting. Now, I'm not looking for a, like, you know, I'd rather not take any risks and just have classic Joker because it's not really what I'm looking for. But I kind of, you know, I'm, let's, let's see what happens before we sort of get to, before we sort of start lighting our, our fires and getting our pitchforks. You remind me of Palpatine talking to Anakin and trying to tell him to have an open mind and embracing a wider perspective of the Force. Um, I look forward to hearing what you think of uh, Joker 2, the musical, before I think I would be able to, to sit down and watch it first. So I, um, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this again. Indeed, indeed. And I'm sure much news will come out about it in the, the coming months. Is there any other news that you're in, Paul? Uh, did I have anything? I felt like I... Oh, I saw that Taika Waititi's Star Wars movie isn't going to be looking at going at any ex existing characters or origin stories. He, he's not, you know, he's not going to do like a, a solo or or look at anything that came out of the nine Skywalker movies. It's going to be uh, something completely new, new characters expanding the Star Wars universe, and I think that excites me because you know, going in a new direction, you don't know what you're going to get. It also I always I like to see some sort of tie, and I feel like there will be some sort of tie that will keep it very much something that we know is Star Wars. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they go with that. I do think that um, Kathleen Kennedy and crew from Disney are very hot on the first six movies, and so I think it could, though it may not feature any of our main characters, it could still be set within that timeline. Yeah. And you know, like they're very hot, obviously, at the moment on that sort of post Return of the Jedi phase. So it could still be in that time, but just none of our characters that we know, which I think would be fine. I'm I'm really keen to see a, a wider universe. Yeah, no, 100%. So um, that was all I, that caught my eye. Um, I'll slide over to the mailbag, Dan. It's a, a very, very quiet week compared to last week's um, Bosch Bonanza. Um, but 
we had oh so we had hbo's official we own this city shared our post of your review of of that mini series and we also reached a milestone with 400 followers on instagram which is awesome we um we also had a couple of people message us with the word tardis um which when i first saw the messages i was like what is this and then i remembered of course that was our our word for listening to our longest ever one hour 51 minute podcast uh, episode 119 um we one of those people was from from sador uh who's active in our discord community he also noticed on our website that uh, where you and I both list our top 10 movies of all time that neither you or I have, and I quote, the greatest movie of all time, Back to the Future, in our list. Um, to which I responded, because I love that movie, I said, to be fair, top 10 is actually really hard to do. And being a determined chap, uh, he came back with his top 10, and I just wanted to share it, because I, I always love hearing what people's top 10 are. So in, in reverse order, 10 to 1, Reservoir Dogs, Magnolia, Fight Club, Dark Crystal, Boogie Nights, Black Hole, Big Trouble in Little China, Battle Beyond the Stars, High Five, Emil, and number one, Back to the Future. Sadal's on the spice, I tell you. <laughs> That's an incredible... I love the fact that there's some old movies in there because I have old movies in my 10 as well, but um, I appreciated that. And if anyone else reckons they can do a, a top 10 all-time do send it through to us on the socials or halfmeasurespodcast.com and we'll include it for dissection in the mailbag because um, Battle Beyond the Stars is a cult classic to have it in an all-time top 10. I, I, I respect that. There were some other choices in there. Black Hole was one of them where I was like, wow, that's a deep cut. I've got so many questions. I'm sure this uh, conversation will continue over in the Discord channel. I think it should. I think it should. Um, speaking of Sadol, he also gave us his his peak performance for Michelle Yeoh, which was actually from Podcast 118. Uh, his 3-2-1 for Michelle was Supercop 2, Police Story 3, and his number one peak performance, everywhere, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I don't remember Supercop 1 or Police Story 1 and 2, so there are, and again, some deep cuts, some deep peak performance picks there. So... Um, that was that was quite Im- impressive. Um, moving on to last week's peak performance, Steven Soderbergh, and, and sticking with Sador once again, his picks here, a nice mix here, Contagion, uh, Lucky Logan, and Unsane. King Johnson, who's from somewhere in the US, he, uh, he went with Ocean's 13, which um, was a really funny shape for me having just, um, you know, just watched those movies because uh, I... I, I really do think Ocean's 12 gave such a bad reputation to that movie franchise that people perhaps have forgotten how good 13 actually is. Either that or I just I just really enjoyed it. I, I, I don't know what's true. Um, and then uh, finally for um, peak performances, uh, we have, as always, uh, Paddy, who came in with Haywire, Ocean's 12, and Ocean's 11, I I I I think there's too much Guinness, too, too much Guinness, too much spice. To each their own. Everyone has their own. You know, I I have movies like Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier is one of my favorite movies, and that that scores like a four out of ten. So, yes, someone out there loves Ocean's Twelve, and it's uh, it's Paddy. That is our mailbag this week. Then that is amazing, and I I do say these things in jest. I do love that people have different choices uh, from us. That's for sure good stuff. 
Shall we uh, jump on over to this week's peak performance, uh, where each week Paul and I take turns choosing different actors, actresses, directors, and we choose their peak performance. This week, Paul, we're talking about Winona Ryder. What do you got for me? Yeah, so the uh, this was a great choice, Dan. This was your pick. And I I had a look back through, and I didn't think that this was going to be my honorable mention, but on reflection, I just enjoy her in this so much. And I'm actually, I'm going with Stranger Things as my honorable mention for Winona Ryder. Um, she's been in it, you know, since the start in 2016 um, as as Joyce Byers. And I just find her relationship with, you know, with, with, with the kids, with, with Hopper, I, I just find it a really enjoyable performance of an actress who, um, how do I say this with respect? I, I tend to typically sort of think of maybe some of her earlier work or when she was much, but I'm really enjoying her in this role at this time. I feel like she's in like a second prime in this role. So yeah, special mention, special honorable mention was Stranger Things, but my peak performance is uh, 1997's Alien Resurrection. And I just find, uh, so this is a, as the, as the character, um, Cool was it Cal or Cool? I always forget how you pronounce it. Cal. Um, for such a disappointment of a movie, she's a real highlight in this for me. Twenty five years ago, this as well, and the movie doesn't age well, but the performance I think does. And I think it was a real subtle performance. You know, she's she plays, I guess, the most advanced synthetic that we sort of ever encounter in the Alien Prometheus all the way through timeline. And I've always been fascinated by that the the robot character in each of those movies in the franchise and as we talked about when we did the uh, our special podcast review of this um she's a real standout and given how much i don't actually like sigourney weaver's role in this movie this movie without winona Ryder in this i think becomes a really hard watch so yeah that's my peak performance alien resurrection good shouts paul um, I really wanted to choose Stranger Things and I, I, I turned away from it, even though I, I agree with everything that you've said. I'm actually going to go with a real classic for Winona here. I'm going with 1988's Beetlejuice. Now, Winona doesn't have necessarily the, the largest role in this. She plays, um, Lydia in this, which is, she's, she's very young in this, but I just, I thoroughly enjoyed her character, particularly her sort of, um, as soon as sort of Beetlejuice comes into the scene and her, her scenes with uh, Michael Keaton are just so great and it's such a, a movie with so many fond memories and one of those movies I feel like I've I've watched hundreds of times mm-hmm. but haven't also seen for probably 20 plus years um, and I just remember um, re- really enjoying her character and I think kind of being relatable um, as sort of a, you know, another young person compared to the sort of the, the adults that were kind of happening around this. And I was always sort of intrigued by her, the goth nature of her character. Mm, so nice. Beetlejuice is my honourable mention. And then following hot on the heels of that, Paul, I can't go past 1990s Edward Scissorhands. She's fallen in love with Johnny Depp. He's got scissors for hands. What more do I need to say? <laughs> Not only does he give great haircuts and trim hedges, it's, this, this movie's got it all. In fact, I watched the trailer for this movie and sort of trying to decide on what was going to be my peak performance. And I think I'm well overdue for a rewatch of this. It's been a very long time. But again, such fond memories of um, Winona's role in this. And I think from the start, she's been such an incredible actress. And I think you're right with 
Stranger Things does feel like a, a second win for her. I, I feel like she kind of fell off the radar for a little bit, but I think she's back with a vengeance. 100%. Great show. I have not seen this for, I'm going to say, I don't think I've think i seen this movie since the 90s. So um, yeah, great show. Definitely time for a rewatch. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does. Thanks for listening in this week. Get in touch if you've got a peak performance for Winona Ryder, if you've got your top 10 movies of all time or any comments about anything we've said unfairly about Fear the Walking Dead or overly overly happy with Obi-Wan, let us know if you disagree. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, Pinterest, any of our social medias. And why not come along and join our Discord chat while you're there? Only fans coming soon. Also, uh, <laughs> a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. We couldn't do it without you. If you would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, we will be deep diving into the final episode of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Adios. <laughs>